Amen. I'm so, so thankful uh, that we get to sing. I'm thankful for Pastor Nick's leadership in all sorts of different ways. He was playing outside in the sunshine with a bunch of middle schoolers last night, uh, leading a worship team practice and jam session earlier this week, and now leading a hymn sing after this, helping to lead the team here. I, I got to meet with a group of other uh, E-Free pastors uh, in Algona, so we were Nick and I in the car together almost four hours, and I love those other pastors we got to meet with, but we had like four hours of great conversation in the car, and I'm thinking as I'm coming back, like I'd rather be a pastor with no other guy than this guy. Uh, he, is, he is a blessing to our church. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for voices uh, that can join in singing uh, to a holy God. Um, thank you, worship team, for serving us today. I get to be uh, in a home with a couple people, so I got to hear Kirsten and Annika working on this together this week, and just what a joy music is and the way it uh, reminds us of the truths of who God is and stirs stuff up, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. So uh, just really, really thankful today, um, thankful uh, that it's summer still a little bit longer, but thankful too that fall is coming. One of the reasons I love summer is I do like baseball a lot. Uh, I do like the Minnesota Twins, and I do not like the New York Yankees. Uh, one thing that you recognize in sports is that so the Yankees, probably more than any other baseball team, have, have, have like a kind of popularity that seems to be uh, superior to the popularity of any other team. So many people are devoted Yankee fans, but at the same time, there's a whole bunch of people that just really don't like the Yankees. Like as popularity arises, so does opposition. We've been walking through the gospel according to Luke, and we have seen, we have seen Jesus, the eternal Son of God, Israel's promised Messiah, born in a very humble way, laid in a manger, raised in a tiny little village in Galilee called Nazareth, pretty obscure for most of his earthly life until at about the age of 30, his public ministry begins and we saw the popularity of Jesus begin to rise. But what we've seen over the last weeks, starting in chapter 5, verse 17, is that also at the same time the popularity of Jesus is rising, so is opposition against Jesus. And so we just went through a whole string of controversies that pitted Jesus against the Pharisees. And so we've seen that for the last few weeks. And we ended in chapter 6, verse 11 last week with the words of that the Pharisees were filled with fury. And their aim was to discuss together how they can do away with this person that they see as a threat. That's where we left off. People opposed to Jesus and filled with fury. That's where we left off, but that's not the only way that people respond to Jesus. There are people who many of them desired to be near to Jesus because they had heard rumor that Jesus had great power and they had great needs. Some of them were sick, some of them possessed by unclean spirits. And so they were attracted to Jesus because they trusted that Jesus might be able to heal them from whatever ailed them. Other people, maybe just attracted to Jesus because they heard He taught with authority and they had itching ears that wanted to hear some sort of teaching that had authority. And so they were attracted to Jesus for His teaching. Now many were attracted initially to Jesus, but only a few 
And a growing number, in fact, became more devoted disciples of Jesus. So up on the screen, I kind of made this, here's kind of a circles that get closer and closer to Jesus. There was the people opposed to Jesus, there were the curious crowds, and then there were these devoted disciples, men and women, who would gather around Jesus and follow Him from place to place, hearing what He was teaching, growing in their faith in Him. And today we're going to see another group. From among that larger group of disciples, we're going to see today Jesus select 12 to be His appointed apostles. And that's what we're going to see today. My hope is that as we look at today's passage, we while we see Jesus prayerfully appointing 12 apostles back then, we will be reminded of the need to be fervent in prayer. You'll see why I say that here in a moment. And we'll be challenged today. This is something that really happened 2,000 years ago, but this is something that really matters today. And so today, we're going to have an opportunity to do some assessment of our own relationship with Jesus. So, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I've been praying for and preparing for today. If you're able to, our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God. So please stand. I'm going to pray first and then just read Luke chapter 6, 12 through 19. Let's pray. Father, thank you again uh, that you do reveal yourself in your word. Thank you that as your word goes forth, it accomplishes the uh, purposes for which you've sent it. And I don't know in, in full the purposes you have for your word to accomplish here this morning, but I do pray that we would all, me as a preacher and the rest hearing, Uh, that we would sit under the authority of your word, anticipating that you do intend to do something in us that we might not even be able to explain as we open it and hear it and try to understand it. God, we need your Spirit's help for all of that. So please give us that now for the glory of your name in the name of your Son. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Luke 6, verses 12 through 19. It says this, In these days... He went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Amen. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin, we do put a sermon notes page. If it's helpful for you to take notes in the process of listening, uh, go ahead and do that. If that distracts you and it's better for you to just listen, just do that. Do whatever helps you focus in now on the Word of God. We want to understand it better what we see is really it's broken up pretty easily into two sections based on geography. Verses 12 to 16 take place up on the mountain, and verses uh, 17 through 19 then take place at a lower place. 
Okay, so let's start up on the mountain in verses 12 through 16. And what we're going to see there is simply this. Jesus is prayerfully appointing apostles. I say prayerfully because that's how verse 12 begins. Verse 12 says, in these days. All right, what are these days? What's he referring to there? Well, in these days are these days I was describing where the popularity of Jesus is on the rise, and it's also these days in which the opposition against Jesus is on the rise. So it's in these days, in the face of opposition and growing popularity, Jesus is going to pray. It's in these days where Jesus, aware of the mission that God has for him to live and to die and to be raised from the dead and to ascend to heaven, that's not all of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission is to establish his church through people, and that's who he's going to appoint today, the apostles who will be sent out to establish the church. So it's in these days, and it says, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and he gave about five minutes to prayer. No, and all night, it says, all night he continued in prayer to God. Just just so we're just all on the same page, here's what prayer is. Here's my super technical definition of prayer. Prayer is talking to God, okay? That's what Jesus goes out to the mountain to do. Now, we need to keep in mind that Jesus is the eternal Son, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have lived in eternal fellowship from before even the beginning of time. But the way in which Jesus, fully God still, but also fully man, the way in which Jesus, the man, communicates and has fellowship with the Father while he's on earth is the same way that we now can have fellowship with the Father, and that is through talking to him in prayer. So Jesus goes out on the mountain to pray. And he spends all night in prayer. Here in the face of opposition from the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't take a night away to kind of plan his argument to show the Pharisees that they're wrong and he's right. No, Jesus goes out to the mountain to pray. Here, as Jesus recognizes that the mission ahead is going to require apostles to be sent out, Jesus doesn't go up on the mountain to review resumes. He goes up on the mountain to pray. Okay? So, quick point of application for us, a longer point later at the end of the sermon, but a quick point of application for us here is simply this. We need to pray and trust God's providence. We need to pray. People like me are the kind of people that need to stop and look at this and not breeze over verse 12. Because if you're like me, you're a person who just really likes to see things happen, and you think if things are going to happen, then i got to get to work. There's a lot of people in our church like me in that way. All right, stuff needs to happen. What's the goal? What's the mission? How am I going to do this? And I've got some experience. I've got some gifts. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to just get this done. That's my personality type in many ways but it needs to be shaped and molded more and more by God's Word, and I need to learn more and more from my Savior, who, when he had this major decision in front of him, when he had this major opposition against him, what did he go spend a night doing? He spent a night in fervent prayer. I need to learn from that. I think some of us need to all learn from that. He prays and he trusts in God's providence, that God will guide him to the people that he is to select. And we'll see in a minute that it might not look like it makes a whole lot of sense right then. 
If I would have been in conversation with God and, and God revealed to me these 12 men, I might have been left scratching my head as to why these 12. We're going to look at that here in a moment. But an application for us is simply this. You've got a big decision to make? Pray and trust God's providence, even if it doesn't seem to make sense initially. Pray and trust God's providence. As a church, we're soon coming to a time where we again nominate and elect leaders for offices in the church. As we do that, we should be diligent in prayer, trusting God's providence. We have already voted as a church that we needed to form a building committee and a building finance committee. You have made financial commitments so that that committee can now tomorrow uh, hear the report from our treasurer, what the final numbers are. Leaders are going to hear about that, I assume, probably next week. You'll get to hear uh, what those are. I'm looking forward to hearing more about that tomorrow night. And then we're going to have another opportunity for our church to vote. Do we continue in this direction that God seems to be leading? We ought to be in prayer, diligent, fervent in prayer as we trust God's providence in this. All right, that's a quick application point. Jesus is on the mountain all night praying. Then what does he do? Well, then he appoints apostles. Verses 13 to 16, Jesus appoints apostles. After praying all night, he takes action, and there is a larger group of disciples. Look at verse 13. It says, And when day came, he called his disciples. So this is a larger group of people, not the crowds, but the the disciples, those who were committed to following him. And he chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Okay, so out of the larger group of disciples, he chooses from them twelve whom he names apostles. Notice, Jesus is doing the choosing, the selecting, the appointing. Right? He's not asking for volunteers. He doesn't say, hey, first 12 to raise your hands get to be my apostles. He doesn't have them play rock, paper, scissors. He doesn't look to the whole group and say, all right, let's take a vote for the 12 most popular or most suitable guys who will be the apostles. No, Jesus, after a night spent in prayer, selects for himself, appoints 12 to be named apostles. By the way, apostles simply means this one sent out on a mission, okay? An apostle is one sent out, a sent out one, one sent out on a mission. Jesus intends for his church to be built. We, we, a couple of years ago, I think it was, went through the, the book called Acts in the Bible. And, and I told you as we began Luke that Acts is actually the sequel to Luke. And Acts is the fascinating story of how the work of Jesus continues as his church is built through the work of the apostles under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, right? So read Acts if you want to know more about how this is going to work out in the future, right? But here in Luke, we're hearing the very beginning of how these apostles are selected by Jesus. This this is a particular calling. All kinds of people are coming to Jesus and following him as his disciples, but Jesus selects 12 particular people for this office. Who does he select? Verses 14 to 16. Let's look at this list. Verses 14 to 16, just a a quick overview. Some of these guys we're going to get to know a lot better, and some of them we're not going to hear much about at all. Okay, The first four in the list we'll hear more about. Simon, whom Jesus will rename Peter, and his brother Andrew... And then James and John. So two sets of brothers, and they're actually business partners. 
So that's the first four on the list. Their business is fishing. Then we hear of a couple of other ones. Philip and Bartholomew, these are minor characters in the Gospels. We don't hear too much about either of them. And then the next one in the list, Matthew, and this one is likely, a lot of these guys had a couple of different names, and Matthew is likely Levi, whom we met earlier, I think it was in chapter 4 or 5, we met, we met Levi, uh, the tax collector. Okay? So, so Matthew, Levi, tax collector, would have been kind of seen by many as a traitor and a sellout to the occupying Roman Empire. And then we hear of another guy, Thomas, who would become later famous for his doubting. A guy named James, and this is not the same James who's the half-brother of Jesus and author of the book called James in the Bible. This is a different James. Okay? Not much known about him. Simon, who we're told is a zealot. What's a zealot? Well, a zealot is a nationalist who would have been uh, strongly pro-Israel and anti-Rome. Okay? That's kind of his, his political bent. Probably gave his life to fighting for that kind of uh, political theory uh, in his days before following Jesus. And then we're told of a guy named Judas. Judas, son of James. Not much known about him. And then another Judas. Judas Iscariot. And a lot of people, even those that don't know the Bible really well, have heard of the apostle named Judas. Luke already identifies him here in the introduction as one who would become a traitor. So a couple of things to note. One, Jesus gives some surprising picks. Again, if you were kind of like, man, if you follow professional sports, the amount of time and energy and money that goes into them selecting just the right people for the upcoming draft, right? They they will pick, everybody's after the the best draft picks, right? What does Jesus do here? I've got a quote here from a guy named Paul Miller that I think is is helpful. He, He writes this, what emerges from Jesus' prayer vigil is shocking, He selects 12 blue-collar laborers. Instead of Harvard, Jesus goes to the Home Depot. At least seven of the 12, and clearly the leaders, Peter, Andrew, and John, are tradesmen. Matthew, as tax collector, is a cross between a sleazy used car salesman and an entrepreneur. No priests, scholars, or elites. Jesus follows his own advice to pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He picks laborers, not leaders. Surprise is one of the Spirit's signature moves. And maybe the greatest surprise in all of this is the fact that after all night in prayer, it's not a mistake that Jesus chooses Judas Iscariot who will become a traitor. That's not like Jesus didn't just hear something wrong and then select the wrong guy. Part of God's eternal plan is that Judas Iscariot would be one of Jesus' closest friends during his earthly ministry. This one who would come to be the one who would betray him and hand him over to be arrested and ultimately crucified. We pray and trust God's providence. So there were some surprising picks. And also, just to point out, I think it's good to point out, if we're just looking at the group as a whole, there's some things that these people have in common and some things that are very different about them. What are a couple of things that they have in common? One, there are no Gentiles among them. They're all descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
right? Not because God does not value Gentiles. In fact, a big portion of their mission that they're sent out onto is to reach Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another thing to note that they all have in common, you probably picked up on this as I walked through it, is that all of them are men, right? That, that among the group of larger disciples who were following Jesus, there were both men and women. But you've noted here that God chooses 12 men, not again because God doesn't value women. In fact, what you're going to see as we walk through the Gospel of Luke, that way more than almost anybody else in his day, Jesus seems to value and love and care for and respect women in a way that is very culturally abnormal for that day. But the office of apostle and the authority and responsibilities that come with it are given only to men. You'll also notice that it's a diverse group. I won't go into a lot of detail, but these are not guys who would probably choose to hang out with each other. Right? Some of them, a couple of sets of brothers and fishermen, they were business partners. But then, just think of politically. Uh, you know how like, if you want to kind of bring tension into a situation, just bring up politics, right? Just imagine the conversations between Matthew, tax collector, working for Rome, and Simon the Zealot, who's a nationalist, super anti-Rome. That's like putting Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul on the same team, right? See what happens with that. And that's what Jesus selects. He selects a couple of people very diverse in a lot of different ways. So from the group of devoted disciples, Jesus prayerfully appoints 12 men to be apostles. Now, they're up on the mountain. He's doing this work. It's time to descend. And this is where we get to the second part of the passage. He's going to descend and get to a lower place where he's more accessible to some curious crowds. Just a, just a quick note. Jesus is about to teach. And what he's about to teach is commonly has come become known to us as the Sermon on the Mount. We usually refer to Matthew's more extended version of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Luke has a more condensed version, but over the coming weeks, we're going to go through Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's going to happen with the crowd that's gathered right now. But before Jesus' teaching begins, he will be surrounded by this group of devoted disciples and newly appointed apostles who are going to be with him as the curious crowd starts to gather. Okay, So, let's go to the second part. Verses 17 to 19. Note, in verse 17, we can see three of these groups present. Look at verse 17. It says, and he, that's Jesus, came down with them. Who's the them? Well, the twelve that he just appointed apostles. Okay, So he comes down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples, okay, so, so the crowd of disciples much larger than the 12 apostles that he selected from them, and then also a great multitude of people. Okay? So you see three different crowds there, appointed apostles, devoted disciples, and a curious crowd of people. And note that these people are from all over the place. As Jesus' popularity continues to rise, the, the, number, of, the number of people... Uh, that he is influencing uh, starts to expand beyond Galilee, even to Tyre and Sidon. So all sorts of people are coming and coming nearer to Jesus. Who's especially attracted to Jesus? We've seen this already in Luke, and we're just going to keep seeing it more. 
the ones especially attracted to Jesus are the people that are just willing to acknowledge, I'm needy, I'm broken, and I can't fix me, and I need some help. Those are the people that are attracted to Jesus, and those are the people to whom Jesus goes often, right? So as the crowds come, what kind of people are coming to Jesus? Look at verses 18 and 19. I think it's those who are curious. It says, who came to hear him, okay? Some people are coming because their need isn't so much physical or emotional. Their need is just like intellectual. Like, I I love a good teacher, Some of you, you're just like, by nature, you're learners. You love learning stuff. You're always reading or listening to something. Those are the kind of people like, oh, we've heard things about Jesus. They're coming and they're traveling to wherever he is that they might hear because they're curious. Also, those who needed to be healed of their diseases, right? Our first instinct in our day is to turn usually to some kind of medicine when we have some kind of disease. In this day... Uh, medicine was not nearly as effective as it is in our day. And so their first response is, somebody's got to heal me. Because I've tried doing what my grandma said to do and what my mom said to do, and that's not working. And so I've heard of this man who heals people with diseases. I have a disease. I'm going to go be with this man. Right? It makes sense. Also, it tells us in verse 19, oh, still in verse 18, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. So people who needed to be healed and people who were, were, were tormented spiritually had unclean spirits and they needed to be cured. And look at what it says Jesus did there in verse 19. And all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. Jesus heals them all. We've talked already about how Jesus' miracles are a, an expression of or a display of his kingdom authority. But now that these people got what they wanted, we need to wonder, are they going to stick with Jesus? Like, if you're sick, and your main objective is, I don't want to be sick anymore, so you come to Jesus, and he, you touch him, you, he touches you, you're healed, do you just go home? Like, all right, thank you, I am not sick anymore. Or, Do some of the curious crowd members who had a need that brought them to Jesus stick around to hear what Jesus is going to say? We're going to see that more in the weeks ahead. That's the end of the passage for this week. So I want to not just end. So so what we do is we don't just walk through Scripture and say, okay, now I know more about what Scripture says. We want to be people who are molded by the Word of God. So we hear what God's Word says, and we take the heart of the message, and we work at applying that to ourselves. So that's what we're going to do now. In previous passages, we saw one group of people who were increasingly opposed to Jesus. But in today's passage, three more groups, right? Curious crowds, devoted disciples, and appointed apostles. So I made this little image uh, up there again. You notice I changed appointed apostles to selected servants. Why would I do that? Well, because as we work at applying this today, I don't believe that God is still appointing apostles today. Right? That was something that he did in the first century uh, as the, the church was about to be birthed, but I don't believe that God continues to appoint apostles in the same way that he did in the first century. But I do believe that various servants are continuing to be selected by the Lord. So you've still got kind of this, this concentric circle where, where, where we see people getting closer and closer to Jesus. On the outside are those opposed to Jesus, 
And the number of people, I think, in the world that are opposed to Jesus continues to grow. But probably in here today, that number is not huge. Like, I don't know that you give up a Sunday morning, you come out when it's raining, and you gather with people at a worship service because you're opposed to Jesus. I don't think that's where most of you are. Uh, and also, that's not at the heart of the text today. That was from previous texts. So, I'm going to focus on the other three, okay? I'm going to focus on curious crowds. So, I'm going to talk to each of you three groups, and I don't know what category you would put yourself in right now, but maybe you put yourself in today the curious crowd category. In today's passage, this was people who had some sort of curiosity or need, and that's what drew them to Jesus. They had a need, and they knew it, and they needed something, and so they thought, well, maybe Jesus could give it to me, and so they came to him. Many who live all around us, many of the people, listen, many of the people that you work with, many of the people in your neighborhood, this is where they're at. They're recognizing, because of life circumstances, they're at a spot where they recognize they have some needs, and they're turning all sorts of different directions to try to find something or someone that can meet their needs. And eventually, they're all going to run into a brick wall. Because what all of us need more than anything else is we need Jesus. So, question for you, you work with people who are maybe part of the curious crowd, and they're not here, but they could be here. You could invite them. That'd be one way for you to introduce them to Jesus. Just say, hey, come, come with me on Sunday morning. I, I, I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Uh, we talk about Jesus a lot. We're trying to get to know Jesus, and we're about making him known. I'd love for you to just come and be with our church. You just invite people. Or just talk to them right in the spot, on the spot about Jesus. Some of you, let me just address those of you that are here today, and this is who you are. You're here today because you're a part of a curious crowd. Thank you for being here. Welcome, and we are glad you're here. And if you're honest, you would not say, oh, I'm one of those devoted disciples of Jesus. I'm just kind of like, I'm not against Jesus. I just, I'm curious about Jesus. Maybe you're here because you just need some social interaction, and this seems to be a pretty friendly church. Maybe you're here because singing songs does something to you emotionally, and these people help us sing songs pretty well. Maybe you're here because hearing sermons gives you knowledge that you crave. Maybe you're here because you've done some reading and you have like a devotion book or your, or your Bible. You've done some reading and it's inspirational. And so you're just kind of like, well, you're here. You're part of the curious crowd. And let me exhort you today, come closer to Jesus. Don't settle for a few of the good gifts that Jesus gives, but receive the greatest gift that he gives. Jesus gives himself in order that sinners like us, the holy God we just sang about, that is true, that is our God, and we have no business being in his presence and we all have rebelled against him. And so, so would you today receive the free gift that allows you, a sinner, deserving of God's punishment, allows you to be in his presence. How did that happen? Well, that happened because Jesus lived perfectly, like we all fail to do, and Jesus died as our substitute on the cross for our sins in our place. And he was raised from the dead with victory over sin and death. And let me tell you, you cannot beat sin and you cannot beat death on your own. You cannot. You will be beat by sin and you will be beat by death. 
That is the reality. And you have no hope apart from Jesus. But in Jesus, you have eternal hope. And so, I would call you today, exhort you today, to say, maybe today is the day that you say, I've been a part of the curious crowd for a while, but today is the day that I acknowledge once and for all, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And only Christ has accomplished what I most need. Repent and trust in Christ alone, submitting to Him as Lord. If that's the step that God is calling you to, I'd invite you to just say that to him. We're going to give some time at the end of the sermon uh, for you to just pray and, and talk to God about where you're at and what step you need to take. I'd love to talk to you after the, the, the uh, service as well. Second group, devoted disciples. Devoted disciples, I also call you today. Come closer to Jesus. This is a step many of you have taken. You do trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've received the free gift of salvation through faith in Christ. Perhaps you've trusted Jesus and you've been in the church for many years now. The danger that can come with being in for many years is that you can kind of start to run on cruise control, right? That, that you're in a rut and you're going through the motions. The longer you do something, the, the, more, the, the easier it is to kind of just depend on cruise control. I don't use cruise control when I'm driving around Iowa Falls. But if I've got a longer trip, one time Kirsten and I had to go somewhere and we had to rent a car, and we didn't ask ahead of time if it had cruise control or not. We had to drive from South Dakota to Texas in a car without cruise control. I, like, that was hard. We like cruise control. We like to be comfortable. We like to not pay attention to everything that's going on and just kind of cruise. That's not good spiritually speaking. Some of you, you've been a devoted disciple for some time, but you're on cruise control. And you need to be more alert to what God is doing in you and around you to, to, to step forward to a greater level of participation in that. Some of you, you find yourself in a rut, and part of that rut is because you don't really have any meaningful Christian fellowship. You, you talk to people at church, but it's small talk. Do you have a friend? Do you have a mentor? Someone who you're looking to who can sharpen you in the faith and that's the purpose of your relationship? Maybe that's the step you need to take. I need to find myself a mentor. Maybe for some of you, you, are, you have sin that is hindering you and holding you back and you've just not confessed it. You need to confess that sin not only to God but to someone else who can help you fight it. Some of you need to take the step to just start reading the Bible. Like you get some Bible teaching on Sunday morning and maybe some other times, but you need to be reading it on your own. Some of you need to step forward and lead your family. Maybe you've tried doing like family devotions before and then you failed and then you tried again and then you failed. Just start again. Right? I just need to take that step forward to pull myself out of this rut. I need to spend more time praying alone. I need to spend more time praying with others. Do something to get you out of the rut that you find yourself in, to click off cruise control and start being alert to what God's doing around you. And maybe God is calling you to become a selected servant for a particular office. Again, we don't have the office of apostle anymore. We're not going to be voting, have a congreg congregational vote on who's going to be apostles, but we will soon be nominating people to serve as deaconesses and deacons and elders. And the church membership will then... Uh, Vote on those people. If you're asked to serve in one of those ways, would you consider saying, ah, that seems a little beyond me. Perfect. Right? Be because in being stretched and being called to the roles uh, that, that maybe seem a little bit of a stretch for us, that's how God stretches us. That's how God 
grows us. Maybe you're going to be asked, even as fall is coming, maybe you've already been asked about serving in Awana, about serving as a Sunday school teacher, about serving in a number of different ways, and you're hesitant for all sorts of reasons. Maybe this is one of the ways in which you draw closer to Jesus as you recognize how weak you are, how, how much you need to depend on Him to give you what you need in order to serve others. Maybe you need to say yes when asked, or... Maybe you need to not even wait to be asked. You just need to call me this week and say, I love getting these calls. Like, hey, I feel like I just need to step up and serve in some way. And then we can talk about what gifts you have, uh, what passions, what experiences, what needs the church has, and see if we can match you up with something. Love to talk about that. So, so I think all of us are in a spot where wherever we're at, curious crowd, devoted disciple, uh, that, that uh, appointed apostle, no, probably not, right, selected servant, if you're in one of those camps, what does it look like for you to take a step closer to Jesus? What step of obedience do you need to take to just say, all right, I'm going to just do that. I'm going to take a step closer to Jesus by doing this. What we're going to do now is I'm just going to pray, uh, and, and then the worship team is going to come up, but they're not going to have us start singing right away. Um, they're going to start playing, uh, and that will give us a couple of minutes to just stay seated where you're at and use that time to just pray. And to ask God, God, what step would you want me to take? And maybe, maybe an answer is really clear and you just write that down. If you do, then share that with somebody else. So it's not just like you thinking about this. There's some accountability that comes with sharing that. I'd love to talk to anybody after the worship service too about a step you just feel God calling you uh, to take today. But we, we have this great privilege of coming near to Jesus. Uh, and we want to take advantage of that by taking a step closer when we can. So be asking God how he, how, uh, he might have you do that. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer and then we'll give you that time uh, to pray on your own. God, thank you that we can draw near to you not on our own merit but because of what your Son has done. Your Son who lived your Son who died, Your Son who rose, Your Son who ascended. I pray that You would help us by Your Holy Spirit to know what step we should take to come closer to Jesus even now. So God, for Your glory, draw us to Yourself and use even a couple of minutes of just prayer right now uh, to accomplish that in this people on this day for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.